Okay, I need to stop and, and just shout out to the really awesome speed racer who's walking by right now. Yes. Because, yeah. Maka go go! Excellent. <laughs> All right, sorry. We can go back, we can go back to the X-Men now. <laughs> I have really strong feelings about Speed Racer. There are multiple fandoms we enjoy. Okay, so with that in mind, I mean, Charles will presumably be here at some point, hopefully. And if not, we will brave on in his absence. So you want to just go ahead and get started? All right. Well, let's, let's do this. But I, um, I'm kind of worried they're going to want us to talk about Logan. We can't do that. Uh, they, okay, they seem nice. We can explain. So, look... We are really sorry. We have been working basically 24-7. We have not had a chance to see Logan. Um, we haven't even really had a chance to start Legion yet. Um, oh, wait, wait. You haven't been watching Legion? You Legion cheated on me? Oh, uh... I mean, I, only for the first couple episodes, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's actually really terrific. Um, you know what? I'm, I mean, I'll catch up eventually. It's not a big deal, but, I mean, it's not like I don't know exactly where it's headed. Logan? Legion. Well, no spoilers. I mean, I know you've got all these secret contacts and stuff, but most of no, us No, no, dude, Miles, I don't actually know anything about the show, but it's David Holler, um, so it's pretty definitely going to end with him destroying the universe. It's what he does. One time? Twice. I mean, three if you count Legacy. Okay, well, I'll definitely grant you Age of Apocalypse, and you can probably make a case for X-Men Legacy, but what's the third? Age of X? Which one is that? The one with evil Mora McTaggart. Isn't that the Muir Island saga? Oh, no, that's evil sexy Mora McTaggart. <laughs> the one in Age of X is evil imaginary Mora McTaggart. So, not, not sexy? Anyway. Uh, okay, so anyway, so uh, is Age of X a splinter timeline then, like Age of Apocalypse? It's a very localized one. What's the difference? Okay, so in Age of X, the X-Men, actually really the entire mutant community, they're, they're cornered in this big final holdout, um, Fortress X, and they're under perpetual onslaught from really pretty much from the rest of the world. Wait, wait, wait. Onslaught is involved in this. No, no, not Onslaught the Xavier Magneto hybrid. Onslaught the, the concept, the common noun. Oh, uh, okay, that, that's a relief. Okay, so anyway, as with Age of Apocalypse, um, most of the characters in Age of X are more or less subtly altered from their default versions, and most of them are a lot darker, a lot more messed up. So what was the inciting event? Did Legion kill someone again? Well, in general, the Age of X universe was much darker from the get-go. But the anti-mutant movement there actually gained really rapid traction, uh, particularly following the manifestation of a young Jean Grey's powers, which destroyed Albany. Okay, but, but I'm still not quite seeing how Legion ties into all of this. He created the universe. Sort of. How do you sort of create a universe? It turned out it didn't really extend beyond Fortress X and, well, whatever they were immediately fighting. Huh. Okay, so I know Legion's got some issues, but why would he create a universe that awful? Well, first of all, it wasn't exactly Legion. Well, not exactly David. So one of his other personalities? Yeah. Evil Moira, remember we mentioned her before. Wait, Moira McTaggart is one of Legion's personalities. No, no, no. One of Legion's personalities presented itself visually as Moira McTaggart. So evil fake Moira McTaggart created a horrifying pocket universe for what? For funsies? For revenge? To make David feel special. What?! I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 150 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. 
So today we are recording live from Seattle at Emerald City Comic Con. On the fourth and final day of Emerald City Comic Con, which is, wow, it's been, it's been a really intense weekend. It's, it's been a lot of show. Four days is a lot of show. It turns it, it, out. Yeah. Um, it's been really good, though. I, I got a lot of Cyclops Has a Good Day sketches. That's really the, the bellwether for whether the convention is, is a good one. I actually, I got one from Brett Blevins, which I am really, really excited about. Oh, man. Yeah, we met Brett Blevins. Turns out he's like one of the nicest human beings in the universe. So now you know that, too. Yeah, he is super awesome. There was a chance he was going to be on this panel, and it didn't end up working out. But if you get the chance, you should go see him at A7, because, again, he is, he's the nicest dude ever. Um, so we also have with us today... Two terrific guests. Um, to my left is Dennis Hopeless, who you might know from series like Cable and X-Force. Um, also from the book that we've probably recommended than, more than any other single title on the show, X-Men Season 1. He is currently wrapping up a run on all new X-Men and will soon be taking over the first ongoing Jean Grey series. So excited. Hi. To Miles' right is Charles Soule, who has spent the last several years accomplishing what no supervillain could and killing both Wolverine and Cyclops. <laughs> in his quest to take out the X-Men one at a time, he is currently, in addition to helming um, Marvel's Inhumans line, writing Daredevil, most of the Star Wars books, a creator-owned series. How many books are you writing? Uh, I'm on s writing six monthly books right now. You're a monster. Yes, That's six more than I'm, I'm a monster. That's amazing. But um, you are also about to wrap up Inhumans versus X-Men, wrapping up the last major event before the X-Books launch into Resurrection. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Well, not Resurrection, and yes, that's officially some about how you that. say it. Officially, according to us, yes. um, we, uh, we have declared this. But we're going to be talking a lot about, basically, it will never be the same style events. Uh, basically, how the X-Men are impacted by giant world-shifting, status quo-altering events. The ones we like, the ones we don't, how that tends to go. If we were a DC podcast, this would be titled, Not a Hoax, Not an Imaginary Story. But we're not, so we can't use that tagline, which is a shame, because it's really good. Is that trademarked? I have no idea. Probably? If not, we're going to steal it. We're changing yeah. the title of the podcast. Is this ah. kind of transformative? I mean, it, it is accurately descriptive. It's not a hoax or an imaginary story. Probably, I mean, maybe. Some of these are actually hoaxes. Some of these are, are never going to be a same, the same again, but it totally is. <laughs> um, so I, I think we should start with the classic, the first. And that is, is the first major life-shaking event to hit the X-Men, and that was the absolute canonical and final death of Professor Xavier in the Silver <laughs> Age. Right, that was back in X-Men number 42. And as all of you know, Xavier has never shown up again since the 1960s. But it started a long history in the X-Men, and I think a, a history in a lot of superhero comics where, you know, you'll get a lot of, this death is for real, this changes the universe for good, and then a dozen or so episodes later, it's like, oh no, he was just hiding in the basement. <laughs> it turns out. It, this is actually what happened, by the way, if you are not familiar with Silver Age X-Men. Professor Xavier hid in the basement for like a year to prepare to fight aliens with the power of all of the love of humanity. But the thing is, he told the X-Men that he was dying of cancer, or rather, the changeling who was impersonating him told the X-Men no, that... No, heart disease. He had a heart oh, attack. Oh, heart disease. Yeah. And then did. Like, how traumatic is that for your students? And, like, Jean Grey knew the, the whole time, the, and she didn't The tell kids anyone? who he has collected, because they have dealt with such terrible and life-shaking, you know, tragedies and losses in their life, and who are either orphans or whose families have been forced to forget that they exist... Um, yeah, so he just did that. <laughs> he told them in a video after his apparent death. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, so this was kind of the first big, it will never be the same again, but it wasn't really an event. And over time, we've seen Marvel, 
uh, transition to, you know, big, well-advertised, at this point, generally, miniseries with their own, like, you know, cover, copy, a different logo for the event to assure you that this is going to change everything and therefore you should buy this issue, possibly multiple copies, because they're going to be worth something someday. Mm -hmm. And I want to jump to current continuity because the X-Men have been in a state of sort of team limbo really since Secret Wars. Secret Wars pretty much... Um, reshuffled, shook up, and rescattered the entire Marvel Universe, redistributed things a little bit, changed characters around. You guys were both writing during Secret Wars, and you've both been writing post-Secret Wars titles, and I'm hoping we can actually offload some responsibilities onto you, and you can give the folks listening an idea of what the status quo of the X-Men was coming out of Secret Wars and where it is now. Yeah. Go ahead, Dennis. Oh, you do it. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so coming out of Secret Wars, um, I think that the main thing that, that changed for the X-Men... So, the, I, all right, this is extraordinarily complex to explain. So, this is why they're all here. It's okay. <laughs> we so sat the, in a room one day and tried yeah, to figure uh, all this out. So, so, really so basically, after Secret Wars, the whole, entire Marvel Universe jumped forward eight months. And so, the universe was put back together. It, it had been destroyed and broken apart, as tends to happen. And then it was put back together kind of wonky. Uh, and, and so, at the end of this eight-month jump, anything... Anything could be different because either it happened because the universe was put back weird or because something happened to change it in the eight months. So as far as the X-Men go, uh, we knew that Cyclops was, was like, gone. Uh, he had, he and had that's adult Cyclops, right? Because there, yeah. yeah. there were two Cyclopses yeah. running around this current is, continuity. This is grown-up revolutionary leader uh, Cyclops. He was, he was gone, and he seemed to be something really bad had happened connected to him that was also connected to, you, to the Inhumans. Um, we also knew that the, the Terrigen mist clouds that had been traveling around the planet since, I don't know, a couple years earlier in Marvel continuity um, now had been discovered to be poisonous or, or deadly to mutants. Um, and, and that's kind of, kind of what we knew. And so since then, a lot of that eight-month gap has been filled in with the miniseries Death of X, which concluded a few months ago, during which we found out um, that... Cyclops, so, so there were two clouds, and they're kind of traveling independently of one another, like sort of murdering mutants as they went. And Cyclops was one of the very first people to find this out, and I guess, can I spoil? I mean, I'm spoiling this, right? The yeah, is there, is there anyone here who would horribly mind having the end of Death of X, which is leading into the entire Marvel line, revealed with the understanding that it's probably already been explicitly stated in solicits? Oh, no, anyway. Death of X, we Death already X, found we, that out. Yeah, that we was were months fine. ago. We, that was months ago, yeah. We're good. You know what? I'm going to say we're past the statute of limitations okay. on that. So, so the way the story went was the, the way that Cyclops found out that Terrigen Mist is poisonous and kills mutants is when it killed him. Um, <laughs> and it was very clear to him. Yes. He yes, was like, wait yes. a minute. So that was Incon it for him. Incontrovertible proof there. Yes. So, but Emma Frost was right next to him, and Emma Frost is, is one of the many great loves of Cyclops' life, um, but maybe Cyclops was one of the only great loves of Emma Frost's life, and she kind of snapped when it happened. And so she then um, took like a heel turn, I guess, to use a, a wrestling term, and uh, created a psychic projection of Cyclops that was running around for the whole rest of the miniseries, inciting uh, this giant kind of war against the Inhumans, uh, which resulted in uh, the death of another beloved mutant, Alchemy. Uh, Alchemy was great! Yep. Dude, there was he a tried. contest to create Alchemy. Some fan created that character, and now, now, now he's that, gone. Listen, Alchemy had, had no moments for, whatever, 20 years, and then had an incredibly central moment in Death of X. So, That's true. He, he did go know. out a goddamn hero. He did go all, out a hero. All Alchemy wanted was to go study biochemistry, man. 
Yep. All he wanted. And instead, uh, he was flown up into the air, dropped into the cloud, and was told to change it into something not poisonous as he fell. And with we'll Sunfire. With Sunfire. Who's the least reassuring person to uh -huh. ever did have to do anything with. Yeah. And Sunfire's like, yeah, I'll totally catch you on, on the other side. <laughs> and so, so Alchemy's like, I guess. And, and so he drops him, and he falls. And he, he does, to his credit, change the Terrigen Cloud into this, this, uh, this red substance that starts to rain red, like blood rain, onto the field of battle. It was beautiful. Um, I think and, it was creepy. I think it was totally fucking with people. Like, you're going to kill me. You're going to drop me through this thing. I'm going to make it yeah. rain so, but blood. He, but he did catch him. Sunfire caught him. He and didn't quit. He was going to do a thing, and he no, didn't quit. No, I think he's just that efficient. I think he quit and came back in the time it took Alchemy to fall. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he caught him, but unfortunately, poor Alchemy was poisoned by the Terrigen Cloud on the way down through it, which probably he should have seen coming. Um, but, you know, he wanted to be a hero. And so then uh, he dies a tragic death um, on the field of battle as the blood rain is falling around him. Uh, and then uh, Emma Frost uh, sort of... The, all the Inhumans are there. They're super mad because half of their super-powering up stuff, Terrigen, has been destroyed by alchemy. And so uh, she then has Cyclops, her psychic projection of Cyclops, walk out onto the field of battle, challenge Medusa and Black Bolt directly, uh, taunting them until Black Bolt is forced to say, uh, you know, die or whatever. And, and with his voice powers, the Cyclops is apparently killed. Everybody thinks that the Inhumans have killed him, which, which sets up this incredible tense situation uh, that is then played out over the X and Inhuman books over the next, you know, year or more, which is where Dennis can come in. Yes. Uh, basically, what I did is avoid all of that in my book as much as possible. <laughs> uh, the way that I dealt with it in my book literally is to avoid it. But we have a teenage Cyclops in my book that is time displaced <clears throat> because I like to be right about things that are hard to explain. <laughs> and uh, he is haunted by the fact that the world thinks of adult Cyclops as a monster. Um, and it was really fun because we didn't get to explain all of what Charles just said. There was like uh, 700 issues that happened where we were uh, we implied that something had happened, but we couldn't say what would happen. Um, <laughs> So yeah, in my book, it was just a bunch of kids uh, riding around in a, in a van and pretending like the world isn't slowly becoming deadly to their kind. And that's actually one of the things I love about, about the X universe, you know, really ever since the first spinoff, New Mutants, came out, is that you can have like, multiple perspectives on these big, earth-shattering, mutant-related events. So you can have, for instance, you know, the Extraordinary X-Men team and the Uncanny X-Men team directly addressing all the Terrigen stuff going on in very different ways. And then you can have all the kids saying, wait, we didn't sign up for this. We're still trying to figure out who we are. Let's do our thing in a way that does specifically reference the crisis going on by virtue of just avoiding it. You know, choosing not to address a problem being in some ways addressing the problem. Like, I love that you can have those multiple perspectives, and I'm loving that in the upcoming Resurrection, like, you know, status quo shift of X-Men, we're going to have even more. Like, we're going to have a bunch more books, and as much as that's going to mean that our video reviews are going to be way harder to do... Oh, um, man, we're going to have to figure out how to do them, like, split screen, too. We'll figure it out. Can we do green screen things? Can we just be anywhere? Oh man, we're gonna can we have the like. Blue can we do this from the blue area of the moon? Can we find a way to do that? That would be. So I was just cool. gonna have a bunch of stock footage behind us, like you know, like old war films or whatever. What about like stock footage portions of Ed Wood movies? I like this plan. And Wait. also the blue area of the moon. <laughs> Perfect, dude. If Ed Wood had had access to the blue area of the moon, he wouldn't have used it because it would have been too high budget. That's probably true. Um, but yeah, so here we have this new, we have uh, basically the status quo being very shaken up, and almost all of the books, with the exception of the ones with adamantium claws in them, uh, 
starting over from number one. And that's, that's a cool opportunity, but it's also something we've seen many times before in X-Men. And that's kind of what I want to, uh, what I want us to talk about today. Yeah. At the same time, we on the podcast are, we're, we're a good, you know, 25 years behind current events, but we are coming up right on the first reboot of, of that title first um, X-Men X-Men number one still the highest selling single issue of all time which is going to launch I think 1992 uh, 91 yeah. 91 end of 91 um, and, and the, the, the onset of the animated series. Speaking of which, I should plug, we are tabling over there in the podcast zone uh, we're right next to War Rocket Ajax which means you can theory oh they're also right there uh, so those guys are normally sitting next to us, but, but one of them, uh, speaking of X-Men 92, is responsible for putting us canonically into a Marvel Universe. Jubilee called us dweebs. It was great. It's one of my two Facebook events, right. or life events ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, you should, you should go check out those, those comics, as, as we have been telling people, if you like the X-Men and you like being kind of confused, because there's a lot in them. Yep. There was a lot in the 90s. But yeah, so we're, we're coming up on that big re reboot, so we've been thinking about that a lot, about those big cosmic events that reset things, that change the lineup of teams, that change teams and characters' relationships to each other. And so I guess um, I've got a question for both our panelists, which is what, were, what are the big turning points, or what do you think of as the big turning points in, in X-Men or in your mm. experience with the X-Men as a reader <coughs> or as a writer, like the things that felt like really major sea changes to you? Um... I, I think when Grant Morrison yeah, I was just uh, gonna say that one. Or, yes, yeah, that that one for sure. That's on my list too. <laughs> yeah, because it felt like it felt like something that was new and fresh for the first time in a long time. It kind of simplified things. It, it made sense with the movies, but it wasn't about what was happening with the movie, or I guess at that point, movie. Um, and I was in college at the time, so it was perfect. It was like exactly mm -hmm. what I wanted. Uh, felt like the core concept of what the X Men are, but in a, in a new way. It had a bunch of new characters. It was fantastic. I would, I would say that for sure, completely. I would also add uh, the, the Weed and Cassidy uh, Astonishing Run. Um, both, yeah. And these are both, you know, I know that as you've been uh, implying, it's happened many, many times in the past, but I think these are the ones that, you know, like hit Dennis News in college. Like these are, these are sort of the modern ones that reset the X-Men for me in a, in a big way. And that's interesting to bring those up because they were, they were both on my list as well because they're, they're phenomenal and they really, they were a real shot in the arm for X-Men at times when X-Men needed that. But it's interesting that, like, during both of those, we didn't have so much a status quo shift in terms of, like, the plot or the well, characters. Well, Morrison's involved a massive status quo shift. He was, he, it was under him that the Xavier School came out. Oh, totally. But, I mean, I guess what we're thinking, like, in terms of big and reboots, in terms the, the of, the, of the characters changing and stuff, like, it was, that was largely similar. It was more just, like, a change of the feel well, of it was, it was a tonal reboot. I mean, in the same sense that, that one of the two big, or one of the three team books is basically the same lineup as all new X-Men but it's a very different book. It's a very different look. It's a very different tone, you know, in, in Resurrection. Yeah. Um, but then you also, you know, can have certainly events that do change up the premises massively and stuff, that do change up who's on the team, what the deal with the team is, that sort of thing. For me, I think the big one would be uh, Fall of the Mutants from the 80s. Yeah, that gave us Excalibur. It really shifted lineups and dynamics around. I mean, I think it's kind of not exactly the end of the New Mutants, but it's, it's the end of a lot of the dynamic of New Mutants. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, you see Ilyana Rasputin not exactly dying, but well, it, it's complicated. Well, it, it, it also starts an age or an era that I that I think is is in a lot of ways comparable to the gap between Secret Wars and Resurrection. That you've got you've got the fall of the mutants to Inferno period, when there are a lot of things that are in in I'm going to emphasize metaphorical because this is a real place in the Marvel universe. Limbo. Um, are a lot of things that are in, in metaphorical limbo, a lot of things that are unresolved, and a lot of things, a lot of plot points that hinge around miscommunication and mysteries. And then Inferno ties almost all of those up 
and creates a fairly clean landscape on which a new status quo can then be, be, be built. Right. And I mean, for right, where we are right now, as far as Inhumans versus X-Men ending, Resurrection mm -hmm. coming up soon, and presumably Inhumans versus X-Men being resolved in a way that allows for that. Haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, so for you guys as writers, um, kind of how, how do you look at that? How do you look at you know, having that clean slate to work with? How much is it a clean slate versus how much is it uh, you know, trying to tie in what just happened and resolve that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's both, uh, which, is, which is part of the fun of it. I mean, you're, you're resolving... I mean, IVX is, is the resolution of, I think, 50 issues of Inhuman-related storytelling that I've done. Uh, it's the resolution of, of all of the, the X storytelling that, that Dennis and, and Jeff and uh, Cullen have been doing over the last two years, I guess, something like that. Uh, and so it's, and, and it also ties up the whole, you know, the, the Terrigen plotline, Terrigen around the world, and, and, and it's so, you know, when you start planning these things, when you do the editorial summits for the, to put these things together, you're like, well, what are our gets? What do we want out of it? That's almost one of the first things you start talking about. Uh, and, and we knew what those things were, which I guess I probably shouldn't tell you because the final issue of IVX doesn't come out until next Wednesday. Um, soon. Yeah, soon. But the, you know, you, you start from there, and then the second thing is, well, how do we get to those points in a way that doesn't feel like we were just trying to get to those points? You want it to feel like it, it evolved out of the storytelling naturally. Uh, the characters are doing what the characters do. Uh, you don't, you won't, you, you're not breaking the character archetypes in a way that, that makes it feel like you're forcing them to get to the point where they're, you know, doing something silly. So it's, uh, it's, it's really cool, you know, but, but it's also designed specifically as a... You know, this is this is the end of a of a really long chapter to let the next really long chapter start. I, for some reason, I feel like maybe it's just because I'm doing Jean Grey and it's it's sort of uh, just an adventure book that's simpler than what All New X Men was. It, it doesn't tie in as much, but this one feels cleaner, like easier to to launch from a, from a fresh place than that did. I feel like, and maybe it was because we were coming out of the end of Secret Wars, but the summit where we all sat and figured out what the IVX of it was and where we were headed was, seemed a lot more complicated than this time. So with Jean Grey, I mean, you've got a character who has been, I think, tied into more reboots and relaunches and retcons and events than maybe any other. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, I, I, you've, you've talked in interviews about how the Phoenix is going to be a major, major theme or major player. And I'm wondering how many of the other sort of weird older Jean Grey adventures we're going to see pop up. We actually just had a conversation about that. The, I don't know. It's weird to think of it in terms of story arcs. Yeah, so like our, the, the middle section of, of the first big story we're telling um, is going to delve into a lot of that. And uh, when Are you going to address the time she grew tentacles instead of arms? Because that yes, was kind of weird. absolutely. All right. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, with, by bringing the phoenix into the book and making it be like teen Jean's worst nightmare is that she grows up to be uh, what adult Jean was and the Phoenix is the worst part of that. Um, that's kind of like the, the premise of the book and then we just do Kill Bill where each issue is like a different genre and she gets to fight things. Um, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm yeah. really, really excited yes. for this book. Uh, but yeah, we get the death and rebirth of it all. So that thing which scares teen Jean is what the Phoenix is and it is the reason that Jean comes and goes. It's the reason she has so many amazing costumes. And we're gonna, well, the co Daniel Ketchum and I had like a 25-minute conversation the other day about which costumes we're going to use when and when we get a show. Play <coughs> card capture soccer all over yeah, again. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that's built into the fabric of the character, especially when you, when you have the Phoenix of it. So we'll play with it some. 
mostly I just want to have her like go swimming with Namor and like go to hell with Ghost Rider. Like that's my pitches are very simple. Like I'm gonna avoid everything hard and do really fun stuff. <laughs> just sort of skirt the larger the larger plot. Right. Yeah. And actually, that um makes me think of a question I would want to ask you, Charles, which is so with with IVX. I mean, you've been doing um Inhuman stuff for a long time now, and IVX is just wrapping so much of that up. So I mean. How, how does that feel as a writer to like have all these plot lines that you're ending in a book where the Inhumans are sharing the spotlight with the X-Men? And I'm going to say at the same time and add on to that, as you're coming off of those, you mentioned the gits on your, your X-Men title. How, how would you sum up your, your era writing X-Men? Uh, well, I, it's been interesting because I think my, my, my X-Men legacy <laughs> uh, is really associated with with killing significant X-Men. I mean, that is the, the thing that is connected to my name more than anything else, um, which is weird. Uh, I would like to think that at some point I will write a story where X-Men are happy and, and they're not marching through their doom. Um, is there anyone you but, haven't had the chance to kill that you'd still like to? <laughs> you know what? I, um, yes. Uh, uh, but, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, it's, I mean, I, I think that they're, it, it's been... My time at Marvel, my, my main time at Marvel started with the Death of Wolverine book. I mean, I had done some things before, but which also kind of coincided with the start of my Inhumans run. Or they were both kind of around the same time. Uh, and and I've, I've dipped in and out of X-Men work um, here and there. I did Death of Wolverine. I did the follow-up Wolverine series. Did Death of X, IVX. Um, but, but the Inhuman stuff has been a through line through that whole time. So, you know, three years of, of writing. So it's, it's for me, it, it feels... It feels strange to step away from the inhuman stuff, but also good to know that I, I mean, I, I hit every beat I wanted to heat, or heat, hit in the inhuman's work. So, and I told all kinds of different stories. There's romance, there's um, like straight on superhero adventure, there's, there's detective stories. And it was, I, it was neat to, to tell whatever story I wanted to tell through their lens, just like you can do with X-Men stories. So while I'm, I'm kind of sad to be leaving, I also am ready to tell stories through a different kind of lens with different types of characters, which, you know, you guys will be hearing about when they're announced in the next few months, probably. Nice. And congratulations in advance. Also, um, random side note, if you haven't been reading some of Charles's other books, they're basically all great, so I, I recommend it. Yeah, basic, basically, they're... They, I, I feel like you are two of the writers who we tend to just unreservedly recommend. So really quickly before we go into questions, you're both tabling. Where can folks find you to pepper you with further questions and buy your wares and get things signed for the rest of the day? I am never at my table. My table is P7, but I am not there uh, because Jason Latour was supposed to be here sharing a table with me, mm -hmm. and he had a family emergency, had to leave. So what I do is apologize to people in Spider-Gwen costumes that I am not Jason Latour, and it's kind of devastating. I mean, oh, you, you, man. Can, you can put that on your resume for your next job, though. Apologize to a lot of Spider-Gwens. You need a not Jason Latour t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm at table V1. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff there, um, and you should come by it all. Um. So, uh, yeah, we always try to leave a bunch of time for questions at conventions because we actually have all of you here um, instead of, like, just on, on Tumblr and email and stuff. Um, we so have two important qualifiers for this. The first is that limited time, so one question per person, please, at least initially. The second is that so we answer questions on our podcast, and those get sent in ahead of time. And we, are, we know a lot about the Marvel Universe and a lot about the X-Men, but mostly we are research monsters. Um, we answer those questions, but we look everything up and we triple and quadruple check it. So if you have a question, a continuity question, hi, Katie Lane. Um, if you have a continuity question that we are unable to answer here, um, 
We will look up the answer. We'll, we'll post it online in the next week, but there's a, there's a chance. Um, and and uh, the amazing Katie Proctor has offered to run the mic for us. So if you want to raise your hand, if you have a question for us or for Dennis and Charles, and Katie will bring the microphone to you. Raise your hand high so she can see you. Excellent. Hello. Uh, this is kind of out of left field and more of an opinion question. Uh, there is a very popular, adorable cat character out of Japan who, for the purposes of my question, I will call Greetings Cat. Uh, her creators have come out and said that Greetings Cat is not actually a kitten, but is a little girl named Kitty White. Now, she clearly does not appear to be a baseline human. So, do you think that perhaps Greetings Cat is a mutant? And if so, what would her powers be, and who should she team up with? I was not expecting that question. But I will happily pawn it on the people that are actually writers here. Thank you for coming to our panel, Dennis and Charles. What, what's your take? Also, if Sanrio sues us, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're done. But yeah, this is, this is I'm, I'm going to put this formally in really, really far in transformative works categories. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree. <laughs> Hello Kitty, Marvel team up. Who she play with? Uh, would would Feral be weird? Would that, I feel like Feral would just eat her. Like I mean, that, that would end badly. Like Kitty Pride, right? I mean, that seems yeah, like that's right yeah. there. It's low hanging fruit. I'm just gonna yeah. say that, and that's my answer. And there we go, Kitty Pride. <laughs> I I just want to write Karopi. Like that's I don't know. I really like the new one, who's a lady who works in the office all the time and then sings death metal at karaoke. Um, but I would say that Gambit canonically loves cats. And, and he's also canonically awesome when he hangs out with teenage girls. He's like actually not sleazy at all, which is great. So I think Gambit and uh, Greetings Cat would get along very well. <laughs> question, question for you about our, uh, Namor, the first uh, mutant. And I've been hearing that he will be actually now be, be like a considered uh, the first uh, in human because there's going to be actually a TV show or film actually made about him. And I was wondering if you had heard that rumors and uh, if they are, are valid. Namor? Uh, yeah, I, I think the question was, uh, uh, is Namor going to be an inhuman now, basically? Uh, and um, I, I know nothing about it. I've heard nothing about it. Uh, I don't know yeah, if you have Dennis. Not that they tell us those things always, but, but I haven't, this, this is the first I've ever heard anything about it. So as far I as I know, Namor is the first mutant. I am invested in two of Namor's qualities. Um, Amazing abs and being better than everyone. <laughs> and as long as he maintains those, I feel like I'll, I'll be okay with, with whatever else stays or changes. Um, but he is, he is the prince of Abslantis, and, and <laughs> certain status quos must be maintained. Um, so obviously a lot of great people have worked on the X-Books, but for each of you, what, is, what are like the creators that have never or never will be able to do an X-Book because of their dead or in Alan Moore's case will never work in, you know, with company property again. So out of the entire history of comics or even visual arts, if you want to throw at that, which creators would you love to have seen or do an X-Book? Hieronymus Bosch. <laughs> I, I had an answer and then I was just thinking about Hieronymus Bosch as soon as you said it. 
Um, okay, so this is, this is technically a cheat, uh, as many of our answers to convention questions are, um, because it could still technically happen, but as somebody who grew up on ElfQuest, I would love to see Wendy and Richard Peeney's take on the X-Men. I think that could be amazing. So uh, if, if you're listening to this, Wendy and Richard and Marvel, uh, please do this for me. What about you guys? Uh, there's an author I love. He's a, he's a weird fantasy author, um, just one of the smartest writers I, I can think of, uh, named Chana Mieville. And I think whatever he would do with X-Men would probably be pretty spectacular. Uh, Frank Herbert? <laughs> I, I don't have to explain that, do I? Like, the X-Gene the must flow. <laughs> My question's for Charles. Uh, since you have two big X-Deaths under your belt, which one are you more proud of, Logan or Cyclops? That's a that's a good question. Let's not forget I also I also killed uh, Jamie Madrox, the multiple man. Again. Uh, yeah. Uh, which Technically I think repeatedly. Know, yeah. Uh, yes, he died. He died over and over again, as he tends to do. Um, you know, they're, they're, the the thing that was interesting about those is that they're. I think they both feel very different. You know, like like the way that we handled Death of X. Jeff Lemire and I wrote it. It's you know, it's it's a ghost story. It's a story about the 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 longing and loss of 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 his you know, the, a, a woman who loved him very much. Uh, and so it's a story that's really about Emma Frost more than it is about Cyclops, whereas Logan is, is about a, a march to, or sorry, Logan. <laughs> Death of Wolverine is about a, a march to the grave of somebody who kind of knows he's doomed and, and the choices he makes when he knows he's walking to his own death. And so they're, 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 we just tried to make them, or I tried to make them feel very, very different to the reader. And so it's hard to pick which one I'm more proud of because they're not the same story told twice. It's two very different things that I, I think are both pretty solid. When is the leather coming back? <laughs> Which one, the leather? Oh, like the leather suits? Yes. Like the Morrison stuff? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you should probably... Yeah, I mean, Jamie McKelvey designed the new X-Men Blue costumes, and Jean Grey has a badass leather jacket. Uh, but it's not like black. It's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, for the record, those character designs are some of my favorite in a long time, especially Jean's. Like, Jean's had a lot of costumes, and that's, that's right up there with, like, Phoenix for me. Yeah, he sent it to me before he turned it in, and I, I told him, like, this is her costume, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> if by they you mean me, then uh, good. <laughs> this is a um, general question. Um, after the events of Death of X, what happened to Havoc? Where is he now? He hasn't... Uh, you need to keep reading. Um, I don't, have, you, have you been reading IVX? Um, I'm only on issue one. Okay, well... That's that's where you'll right. that's where you should go. And after after Axis, wasn't he, he? He went insane. What happened to that? Why is he suddenly? A he great got guy? better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Forget it, Jake. It's Marvel now. Uh, <laughs> will Will the death of Cyclops be the inciting event that leads him to finally finish his damn dissertation? <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, with the Xbox splitting it to blue and gold, when Marvel inevitably uh, goes back to the n numbering of Uncanny, because they always do, which one do you think they'll stick the numbering with? Gold. Yeah, that seems to be like the more traditional, like, you know, X-Men as we knew them when they went Uncanny lineup. So that would be my prediction, but these guys actually work with Marvel, so maybe they would know uh, more. Yes. No comment? Yeah, we... <laughs> We know too much to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have one of several follow-up Hello Kitty questions. 
Matt Wilson of War Rocket Ajax, where you can hear more talk about Hello Kitty every week. Uh, you could come listen to our Kitty Quarter segment. Um, no, uh, what I was actually going to ask is about, uh, you know, a big thing around the X-Men is that the touch points of X-Men comics seem to often be deaths and resurrections. And Charles, I know you get asked about character deaths all the time, but I'm sure you're just as proud of other moments that you have uh, you know, put into your writing over dozens and dozens of comics. So when you approach writing X-Men, do you come at it from, okay, what are the deaths and resurrections I have to do? Or are they just kind of to the side and you have an expectation that in the future you're going to hear about those things a lot? Um, do, you, do you write with those as the touch points, I guess is what I'm asking. You know, this is gonna this is gonna sound glib, maybe, but I literally have only asked to kill or bring back. I, that's that's the only X jobs I've really done have been centered around murdering or or reviving X Men, and so uh, so it's always it's often it's just right there in the title. So it's uh, it's always kind of front and center for me. I don't even know what it would be. I don't know what is it like to write like uh, X books, Dennis, where the people aren't. <laughs> uh, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. X Men fans are mean. Uh, no, yeah, I don't know. I, I wrote Avengers Arena, so like my very first ongoing, the first thing that, that uh, had, was a big deal, uh, everyone hates me because I killed people. The point of it, it was like Hunger Games with teenage superheroes, and they were like beloved teenage superheroes and stuff that was a uh, very different tone. Um, so yeah, like the point of that book was killing. It's kind of like done with that, uh, but it's also the case that death is part of life, and it's a really profound part of life, and it is a thing that um, affects people in a way that is fun to play with as a writer. So it, there's a reason we do it. And the resurrection thing is kind of just like you got rid of the toy, you want to bring the toy back. Like they're fun, you know, if they're dead forever, you don't get to write them anymore. So I don't know. I, I don't. I, I'm also writing a book that is about the phoenix, so I kind of have to mess with it now. But <laughs> True. Um, I don't know. Um, and I mean, for me, like just coming at it from a, a fan perspective, I think some of the strongest moments in X-Men have been related to deaths done well. Like, I mean, two of my very favorite things that have ever happened in X-Men are, of course, the death of Dark Phoenix, which is like everybody's favorite thing. But um, also the not exactly death, but pretty much death of Ilyana Rasputin at the end of Inferno. Like for me, both of those plot points were just so earned and, and just so, so natural. And actually, you know, I'll add uh, Death of Wolverine onto that as well. I thought that was, was earned in, in similar ways. That, you know, it, it just becomes part of the story. And so even though it is a major, major event that's occurring, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a gimmick or just being thrown in there. And I should say, to plug an earlier episode, uh, Charles came onto our show a few months ago and we spent an hour just talking about character deaths and how to make them matter. Um, and how they've worked over, and looking at, looking at the history of, of major deaths in X-Men. I think we have time for a couple more questions, if anyone's got one. This uh, question is for Dennis. Um, I'm really enjoying s several of your other books. Uh, I wanted to know which of the X-Men you feel, besides Hank McCoy, would make the best sports entertainer? <laughs> That's the best question ever. Uh, pickles. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely pickles. Um, so with Resurrection, uh, you have like this blend of uh, classic teams with like new kind of ways of like retelling some of these characters who maybe not have had a, a lot to do with like 
uh, before with like Iceman and Jean Grey. Um, and I was wondering, uh, going forward, like what are some teams or concepts or characters that you'd like to see kind of come back and have like a new things done with them? Because personally, I would like to see the return of the ecstatics. I should say that in the office, we call it Resurrect Zion. Uh, but, but I don't want to step on your traditions here. Um, I, 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 I was kind of like the Exiles. I thought that was a really fun team. Um, although Exiles ran for a really long time and they kind of really did plumb most of the, the X events. So I don't know if there's enough stuff uh, to, to really have that concept feel as, as deep and fun as it did back then. But I, well, I thought they were great. Extreme X-Men was a similar, a similar premise. The second, or volume two of Extreme X-Men oh, yeah. was a similar premise. Mm -hmm. And that, ran, that, was, that was great. Yeah. It was Greg Pak. Um, I just... I don't know. It's all, I'm very uh, myopic and self-obsessed. So what I want is a Dennis Hopeless written Colossus and uh, Domino book is what I really want. <laughs> we want that too. Yes. But when I pitched that, can it be like a can it be an old school romance comic? Yes. 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 Oh, I would read the hell out of that. Um, so for me, I always come back to the same thing. And now that we have people again that work with Marvel, maybe you have some pull. So. It's not going to be... No, Fallen Angels is great, and I would love that. But it also is, like, a complete story. For me, it's the, uh, the new X-Men team with, like, Surge and everybody. They were so amazing for so many years, and then they just vanished. And I would... I, I know that there's been some talk of some of them coming back in Christina Strange Generation X. But, like, I want to see them headline a book again. I want to see what it's like to be, you know, the class that graduated and then was, like, not really... The, was just in the background for all the big stuff that was going on. <coughs> I do actually want something. I don't, I don't want an extension of Fallen Angels, but I want something else in that same spirit, but with Boom Boom as the Vanisher slash Mentor figure. Yeah. I, want, I want a next generation of fall, Fallen Angels where you've got that peculiar a mix of characters from across the line, like all of those weird little side characters. They're completely irresponsible adults. Um, Having, having adventures very much outside of, of the standard events, you know, between, between panels of an issue. Hi, um, so I've like grown up with the X-Men and watched cartoons and the movies and I read it when I was younger but I kind of fell out of it. Um, there's just, there's so much. Where would I start if I wanted to start reading the comics again? Our books. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's true. Um, and Humans vs. X-Men is probably going to give you a lot of the background you need to then jump into Resurrection. They're, the whole line, except for all new Wolverine, is basically relaunching. I will say... Oh, and Old Man Logan. I don't care about Old, old Man Logan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it, is, it is good. It is, it is good. But I feel like, I feel like Marvel, I, I had a finite potential of caring about Logan. And he just, he showed up in so many books that it just ran out too early. Um, and also, also Laura is the best Wolverine ever forever. Um, so yeah, read all new Wolverine from the start. And the current, the current lineup is good. And all of those titles start at the end of Secret Wars. So jumping into any of those should work. Um, but honestly, Resurrection seems like it's going to be a really good jump on point. And to continue plugging stuff written by people at the table, because we haven't talked about X-Men Season 1 enough on the podcast, in terms of just getting a feel for like a, a more modern take on the core X-Men characters, Dennis's X-Men Season 1 is stellar. It is, however, pretty much self-contained continuity-wise. It, it's its own sort of splinter universe. Sort of. Sort of. It's complicated. It's X-Men. Forget it's, it, Jake. No, it's, it's not X -Men. just 1963 with, with iPhones. It's not, it's not complicated at all. Humph. So for Dennis and Charles coming out of Secret Wars in that eight-month gap, is there anything really weird that you wanted to pitch or wanted to do that you just never got around to or got shot down besides Colossus and Domino? Uh, 
anytime I bring up Boom Boom, I get shot down. Except for, except for during Secret Wars, it was amazing. Because they didn't say no to anything. And I don't think it's because they wanted us to have fun. I think it's because they were all overworked because they were now doing three times as many books. So the editors just let us. I killed every X-Man in my Inferno book. I made uh, Kindergarten Cable and nobody questioned it. Like I just wrote that in a script and it got drawn. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, normally they just say no to my stupid shit. Did you have that experience? Did you write uh, Secret Wars many? Yeah, I did. I did uh, a couple of different ones, but the um, the the main and I did a Civil War book, which was a, a blast um, because it was it the idea the premise of it was that the Civil War we saw end in in the Marvel Universe. Uh, back in 2006, I guess, didn't end, and instead we picked it up six years later, and the idea is that the entire country's been at war uh, with, with all of sort of um, the American population splitting into two sides. One was kind of Captain America was running the West, and, and Iron Man was running the East. And so I, I got to, you know, do all these things uh, without explaining them. So um, Peter Parker, for whatever reason, was, was Captain America's kind of second in command, and he was wearing, he, he had the Falcon backpack, you know, so he could, he had wings when he wanted them. Um, the, there was a, a, a Hulk that I called the Night Hulk, which was black with red glowing eyes, who you just sort of see lurking in the background for most of the, most of the miniseries, and then in the final issue, he pops his claws and somebody calls him Logan, and you're like, well, how did, how did that happen? Um, so, that was, so that was super fun. Uh, and then the other, the other, the Inhumans series I did was called Adelon Rising, which was just, uh, it was kind of like Casablanca with, with Black Bolt and Medusa as the leads. Wait, that's fun. how you say it? I've always said it till I've Adelon. learned something too. Okay. I've been wrong the whole time. I yep. accept that. <laughs> so we've got time for one more question. This is pretty self-indulgent, but last night at your party, you had a, the team of uh, X-Men from cosplayers that was made up of Wolverine, Havoc, Quentin Quire, Beast, and Leela Cheney. What sort of threat do you think would bring them together? I guess a party? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I feel like those are the X-Men who are all most likely to show up at like a weird indie show at the same time. But at the same time, nothing can ever go well in X-Men, so there has to be some kind of disaster that occurs. Yeah, so I, I assume Havoc is not there on purpose ever. Right. He was actually just putting the finishing touches on his dissertation at a nearby coffee shop. No, no, no. So based on the versions we were cosplaying. So, so clearly, Havoc and Wolverine were hanging out in Mexico. Okay, they were drinking in Mexico after that one Marvel Comics Presents story. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lila Cheney, I'm guessing she was probably attempting to steal something important. She oh, yeah, no. Okay, so she's on a heist. She's clearly, she's clearly wherever she is on a heist. I'm guessing... Quentin did something wrong and Beast had to go retrieve him and they got sort of pulled into this, looked for nearby X and, and, and either it was happening where Havoc and Wolverine already were or, or Beast and Quentin decided that they were just going to sort of Shanghai them into it. Okay, wait, and I got this. And so Lila Cheney, in attempting to complete her heist of stealing some important work of art... Uh, this, this work of art? Hell, she's way beyond that. No, no, hear me out. Uh, so this work of art actually had alien technology in it that thus messed with her powers, so they transported her through time as well as through space. So we're going to Doctor Who it, and they end up in, like, you know, the court... Oh, that's why they're in Meltdown. Uh, well, yeah, that's, why th that's why they're in Meltdown, and then they keep going after retrieving Havoc and Wolverine into, like, the court of Louis XIV, and they all have to figure out how to deal with that. There's, there's our premise. That... That, uh, that took a sharp left near the end. 
It's X-Men. These things happen. All right. Thank you so much to Katie Proctor, who's been running around with her mic. We should say also, if you watch the video reviews, uh, Katie Proctor is, is the person who runs the comic shop where we do those uh, books with pictures in Portland. She is fantastic. She is a longtime and very, very dear friend of the show. I guess I should also say my boss three days a week so that, you know, conflict of interest. Disclaimer. But yeah. Um, she is fantastic. I think this is, this is pretty much where we wrap things up. So, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men is usually recorded in Portland, Oregon, this week at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, Washington, and it is produced this week and every week by the amazing Kyle Yount, who also hosts the Godzilla podcast, Kaiju Cast. Can we have a round of applause for Kyle for making us sound better than we are? Uh, so, new episodes, including this episode of our My show. My God. Uh, come out every week at explainthexmen.com, also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. The one right here that your various applause and yelling uh, are in, that's going to be out in eh, about a week. Yeah, it's going to be about a week from today. Um, you can check out explainthexmen.com for all kinds of additional content. We've got visual companions to every episode, along with fan art, interviews, reviews, and more. Um, and our show is totally listener-supported. Uh, I suspect by many of you, seriously, our Patreon supporters, like, we really, really couldn't do this without all of you, so thank you all so, so very much. Yeah, we are one of the only podcasters who actually do their podcast as pretty significant parts of their jobs who are entirely listener-supported. Like, we, we, we have not had to do external ads at all, and that is entirely because our, our listeners, our Patreon subscribers, have been so, so awesome about supporting the show. So thank you, and thank all of the... Can we get a round of applause for those folks, too? Because they are why we are here. They are why we are able to do this. Um, and that's been going on three years at this point. Yeah, and also um, thank you to Charles and Dennis both for writing Awesome X-Men and also for joining us up here. It's always such a treat to be able to talk to, uh, talk to creators, like, you know, just live and sort of impromptu. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our pleasure. Um, also, thank you so much to Phoenix Comics, who hosted our party and meetup last night, and to everyone at Emerald City Comic Con, particularly the marvelous Mike Miller, who has put the, who put the podcast zone together, made all of that happen. Yes. Uh, so if you want to say hi after the panel... Uh, you can find us over in the podcast zone. That's uh, right over. It's on the other side of that wall. You could just you could just burst through that wall like don't X do that. Factor. Don't okay, do don't that. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, no, don't do that. You're a terrible influence. <laughs> this kid for president. This is great. This means you have to you you have to take over the podcast next year. Okay. Yes. All right. Awesome. Uh, either way, we are going to be back in the studio next week as we continue the lead up to the extinction agenda. Thank you for coming, everybody. You're seriously the greatest audience of all time. We love you a lot. Yeah.